And what she said to me was, the most loving thing a mother can do of an adult child is to let him go, let him live his own life, give him the, the respect that he deserves. Welcome to episode 302 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Megan, Dana, Christine, Alba, and Mary. They use the donation button on the website. Thank you, Megan, Dana, Christine, Alba, and Mary, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. They who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps a few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that change attitudes can be recovered. Before we begin, we would like to state that in this show, we represent ourselves rather than any 12-step program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I am your host. Joining me today is Jennifer. Welcome, Jennifer. Hi. Thanks. We'd like to open with a reading. I think you picked actually two readings. So why don't you introduce them and then uh, read them to us. The, the first one is Courage to Change, September 4th. It's on page 248. As we let go of obsession, worry, and focusing on everyone but ourselves, many of us were bewildered by the increasing calmness of our minds. We knew how to live in a state of crisis, but it often took a bit of adjustment to become comfortable with stillness. The price of serenity was the quieting of the constant mental chatter that had taken up so much time. Suddenly, we had lots of time on our hands, and we wondered how to fill it. Having become more and more serene as a result of working the Al-Anon program, I was surprised to find myself still grabbing for old fears as if I wanted to remain in crisis. I realized that I didn't know how to feel safe unless I was mentally busy. When I worried, I felt involved and therefore somewhat in control. Mm. I see, yes. (laughs) How does that one speak to you? It speaks to me that I I realized in the program that um, my worry was a way of feeling that I was doing something. Mm. Even, Even when I couldn't do something, and I couldn't stand that feeling, so I would worry. Yeah. Oh, that is so true. When we can't do anything, but we feel like we ought to be doing something, then what do we do, right? Yeah. What do we do? What do we do? And I, the mental chatter was just constant. I yeah. just couldn't, couldn't turn it off, that obsession. Yeah. Yeah, I was, that was actually, I realized I was doing that last night. Got some some news from one of our kids that I was concerned about how they were feeling and mm-hmm. I couldn't turn it, even though I knew they were going to be okay. It, it's still like, I think all night it was kind of just chattering in the back of my head and I didn't, didn't sleep perfectly mm-hmm. because of it. Um, so, and that was just for a little thing, right? Which maybe leads into this second reading. Huh? Yeah. Which is a pretty big thing. It's the book, opening our hearts, transforming our losses. I don't hear many references to this book, and it has helped me beyond words. This is on page 15. The section is called Grief as a Process. Although the alcoholic may still be living, he or she is unable to be fully present emotionally, 
spiritually or even physically, recognizing that we are not living the lives we had planned or hoped for with the person we love is a loss that occurs gradually. Each day we lose a little bit more until what remains is merely a shadow of the person or life we thought we knew. Living with ongoing grief of this kind can be particularly particularly trying. And I'm getting teary just reading that. Yeah. Yeah, that is, that is so true. For me right now, um, it's not the alcoholics in my life that that applies to, but my parents who yes. I am losing a little bit at a time um, yes. every day. Yes. And that process of listening to you talk about is so similar. That loss, a little bit of loss, you know, each, each day, each week. Yeah. So you wrote to me a while back and offered to talk about your your story. You have an adult son who is, I think, still active in alcoholism. Is that is that am I correct with that? Yes, very active. Well, why don't we start? Will you tell us some of that story? I'm 74, and my son is now 46, and he started um, smoking pot. I think when he was in high school and has continued daily for the rest of his life. So that's, um, you know, 25, 24 years Mm -hmm. and drinking constantly throughout every day, whenever he could, if he, if he was at work, he'd be sneaking it. And, um, the last first thing he did in the morning was get up and have a, you know, 12 ounce beer. And I, didn't recognize that until I was at where he was living and I saw the piles and piles, hundreds of beer bottles. Mm. Um, and that kind of made me, you know, brought me up short. I think he added meth about five years ago. I'm not oh. sure when it was. And I just didn't want to, I didn't want to see that. I couldn't see that because yeah. I know how dangerous it is and how it is. I called in because there's, there's two reasons. I, I want to, you know, reach out to parents of adult children as opposed to teenagers yeah. and to people whose loved ones haven't gotten in recovery. There are a lot for them. But when I hear in meetings and on this show are, you know, the story. And you're right that the people who haven't yet found recovery, that's, you know, you're you're living with it daily, more or less. And for a lot of us, we're we're living with the ongoing effects of what happened, but it's not there in our face all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly, I know any number of people in meetings, and there are a lot of people in my meetings who are still living with it. I think one of the reasons that we hear so many stories of, of recovery of, you know, our loved ones is a lot of people find the program because their loved one went into recovery and they were suggested to go to Al-Anon. What do you, do you think that's true? I do. I think that, I think there's a lot of those. Yeah. That's a good point. You know, you've heard my story, which is, yeah, I finally came to Al-Anon when my wife was, 
in treatment and they said, you know, this is, this is, this is how you might benefit from Al-Anon. And, and I had heard about Al-Anon, but I didn't really understand what the benefit was. And, and, and I came and it took her a while to actually find long-term sobriety. So I, I have a little bit of both experiences, but now it's been almost 14 years with her in recovery as opposed to the three and a half years before she found it. And so, yeah, uh, we need to hear, we need to hear your story. We need to hear the stories of, of people who are still living with it. And so I, uh-huh. I really thank you for, for coming to tell us how you have found what you have found even with your, your son still active, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Things have changed dramatically in the last two years. His father allowed him to live in his home after we were divorced. So he was by himself with fully paid rent and all the utilities. And so we had a great place to hide out, drink and use. And I've had to work Alan on big time on his father because no matter what I said, he would not kick our son out. He thought that was cruel. Hmm. And, you know, had he done that when he was in his 20s, that could have made a big difference. You know, he might have pulled himself together. Mm -hmm. But he had to sell the home five years ago. And so my son became homeless for the first time. And that's when his world collapsed. He lived in the woods for three years. Hmm. And then with the guardian angel, whom God put in his path, who is a social worker, but not his social worker, she got him into the um, county system for addiction and mental health. After two years of trying, she got him into um, supportive, what's called supportive housing. So at least now I know he's warm and dry. And I hope that he's going to his mental health appointment. My daughter's a psychologist and she did share with me that um, his diagnosis is schizoid affective, mm. which I know is, is very serious, mm-hmm. and he has brain damage. That's not surprising after 25 years of daily use. True. But one thing I want to point out is he has not lived with me since uh, 1997 when I got divorced. And that is a big deal compared to all the parents I hear who they've had to take the child in and their lives have been, you know, thrown into total chaos. I have enough program and belief in myself and belief in my marriage and my home that I didn't, I didn't do that. A lot of people, including I think many of my relatives, consider that, you know, cruel and selfish. And I have to live with that. And and you have to take care of yourself. I mean, it mm-hmm. it does nobody any good if if you get pulled down too. Right. right? And I I did feel I was going down the dream with him, and it when it got so bad, my mental health got so bad. My husband said, "I have to leave." That that was the final thing where I said enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When did you first come to Al-Anon? When did you first find Al-Anon? I found it in 1985. A psychiatrist referred me mm-hmm. um, because because I am a child of alcoholics, and I 
went to a meeting for other children one day a week, and, and I um, I didn't get a sponsor or do the steps, but I read the readings every day, and it, and it really, I feel like it saved my marriage. Mm-hmm. And my relationship with my kids and at work just improved dramatically. And it was so good to realize that I, I'm not unique. I wasn't alone. Then I had years when I thought I was okay, but I was still in therapy. I came back in 2007 for five years. I went to a local parents' meeting. I was desperate to help my son at that point. But the meetings were all about the problem, not the solution. Mm. And all my focus in the meeting was on my son and what I had done that week. And my guilt, my obsession, I was distraught. I felt so much fear and shame. And I was worried, you know, all the what if, what if, what if. Yeah. And I did that for about five years. And then again, I thought I was pretty stable. So I stopped going. And I came back in in 2016. And that's when I got serious. I, I literally crawled in. I was breaking down. And I found a sponsor pretty quickly. And she got me started on the steps. And that's when my life started totally changing. When you came back at that point, you obviously found a meeting that was more about the solution. Yes. Yeah. Was it was the earlier one, was it that it was the meeting, everybody was talking about the problem, or you were focused on the problem? Pretty much everyone. Yeah, um, yeah there are those but, meetings. Yeah, it, it was really a support group, and I got so much love and understanding mm-hmm. and acceptance there that I didn't find anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Which is important. Very important. It was. It was so. You know, it was. It was my rock yeah. during those years. When I came back this time, I I specifically searched for meetings that were not all about the problem. Mm-hmm. I now go to three meetings a week, and they're very solutions. I don't know whether it's that I've been fortunate or that I have 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 done um, done it deliberately, but the meetings that I come back to are are definitely much more solution focused than some of the other meetings that I tried out along the way. And I think for me that was important, which is not to say that we don't have people in the meeting who are you know talking about what's going on with their loved one because everybody is where they are in their process. Yeah. Right. Ab- absolutely. There, there's always people talking about what's going on in their lives, including me. I just, I just mean the, the kind of the point or the goal of the meeting yeah. is to, you know, talk about how we're, how we're facing those problems and using the program to face them. I'm, I'm trying to get the timeline here. Your your son started smoking, drinking. You said in in high school. Mm-hmm. So was that after your first time in Al-Anon? That was during that time, but I was unaware of it. Ah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I just had my head in you know in the clouds. I, I don't. And he was actually growing pot on a neighbor's property. And going on his belly into the woods, and he he became a very good grower, and he was selling it to his friends. I didn't find that out for years. 
the things we don't know sometimes, huh? Yeah. Um, and sometimes we're like, why did I need to know that? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's been 20 plus years that he left, that, that he hasn't been living with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. How were you, like, there was those 10 years between when he left and when you came to Al-Anon for the second time. I mean, what was going on in your life during those 10 years? I watched him. I, you know, I saw him very often. He, he lived, uh, you know, pretty near me. And I, I, you know, had to watch him, you know, lose his jobs gradually and you know he couldn't show up on time he would leave the job in the middle of the job he was a tile and a stone um, mason mm-hmm. and he was you know drinking on the job one one day his co-workers called me or no uh, people in the house where he was doing a bathroom called and told me that he was hammered you love this I thought he'd been hit <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Said, oh, Denial said, oh, is strong, God. huh? <laughs> you need to call an ambulance. And she said, what? He's not that bad. So, you know, I went and picked him up. And it, it, it was always me who, quote, rescued him. Mm-hmm. At some point, did that just become too much for you? Uh, and then you came back to Al-Anon? Or? Yes. Watching him decline and watching myself try, you know, I tried this, I tried that, you know, I took him to his doctor appointments, I paid for him to see psychologists, I paid for psychiatrists, you know, I paid for all his medical care, on and on. You know, I we did a professional intervention, which he walked away from. It was a beautiful intervention. You know, I was buying him food and, you know, on and on. Mm-hmm. And I I was just getting more and more frustrated that it wasn't doing any good. And I thought the only thing that he needed was to get clean, mm-hmm. clean and sober. And if he just got into recovery and then went into an SLE, that he would be fine. Mm-hmm. And that was not true. Not, no. So you did an intervention. Did he go to treatment and then leave or did he not even go he wouldn't even go uh-huh. it was so sad yeah right. we found a wonderful place to go and everyone who left him was there it was just beautiful oh. he said i i can't do that and he walked out and went home and so what did you do then well i was devastated yeah and that was just you know, one part of me being uh, so worried, just so worried. Yeah, absolutely. And those friends who came to that intervention, you know, one by one, they fell away. You know, he stopped calling them back because he was, I guess, too drunk. You know, he stopped even listening to his messages. When he went to their parties, he would be so drunk, you know, they couldn't deal with it. So one by one, he lost wonderful, lifelong friends that he had. Mm-hmm. In your uh, one of your emails, you talked about this concept that an addiction can be so strong 
that the person's not ready to or refuses to accept help. And I guess that's where you were at that point, huh? Yeah. It's it's kind of where I've been all along, you know. Mm-hmm. That that doctor can't help me. You know, this doctor's worthless. At one point I took him to an SLE to see what it would be like and you know, we spent an hour and a half there and I just thought it was wonderful and when we left he said I'd rather die than live there. Uh. My husband took him to many AA meetings, paid for him to go to an AA retreat, and every time he, he used to say, I want to want to. Well, that's something, but it wasn't it enough. It wasn't enough, no. There were times when my wife would say something like that, you know, I don't want to be doing this. Mm-hmm but I don't know how not to. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So where are you now? I mean, you talked about you're living a better life now. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that happen? How did you get there? Well, by going to meetings. And at one meeting, you know, my I met my sponsor and she just took me in with so much love and so much caring. And what she said to me was, the most loving thing a mother can do of an adult child is to let him go, let him live his own life, give him the, the respect that he deserves, instead of turning him into a dependent, which he had become more and more. And so we started working steps one to five. She was very hardcore. You know, I, I read past. Every day I had to call her and we'd read a paragraph together. Mm-hmm. And I answered every question in the book. There's a lot of them. Yes, there are. <laughs> and then we started on um, Blueprint for Progress. Mm-hmm. And we did every question in there. I kid you not. And it took us a full year. And she, she met with me every week. I started very gradually seeing that what you just said, I need to take care of myself. I need to have a focus on me. And I'm not a bad mother just because I finally recognized that I can't take care of them anymore. There's nothing more I can do. And, you know, that's a big job. It's a really big job. And, And I totally understand the parents who can't do it. They, they can't they can't let their child go yeah it's not easy I mean I feel in some way responsible for the decisions that my children make for the way that they're living their life yeah. even though I know in my head that I did what I could it's like sending a rocket up right at some point the rocket is going and mm-hmm. I've done whatever I can to make sure that it takes off correctly, mm-hmm. takes off well. I've done whatever I can, up, you know, up to the point where my kids, and it's a gradual, it's like, it's not like, you know, the rocket leaves the launch pad and it's gone. I mean, it's, it, it, it with children, it is gradual, but, you know, I've done what I can do. And mm-hmm. if they ask for guidance, if they ask for advice, 
if they ask my opinion, I can give it, but they're on their own and they're, they're doing what they're doing. And, and I really can't, but I feel like I ought to be able to, right? Mm-hmm. Well, obviously I didn't teach that particular lesson well enough. I, I think I need to go back and, and, and it doesn't work. You know, I can teach them stuff when they're, when they're six and 10 and, and 12. And, and after that, it gets a lot harder. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You know, the, the other big, the biggest thing I think is that I've, I've gotten my spiritual life going. Mm-hmm. That, that has turned my life around more than anything. When I, when I first came back in 2016, I was having a, a step two and three were hard for me because I had been raised in a Christian church and then let it go with a lot of judgment I won't go into. And mm-hmm. then when I, so when I came back in, it was, oh, gosh, I gotta, I gotta accept help from God. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my sponsor helped me work through that. It took, it took months actually. But I have a very strong spiritual program now. And that's, I think that's at the bottom of what has helped me release him. Mm. But my release was pretty sudden. She was on the phone with me the day that he showed up to my house when he was just not himself. He, he stopped being, you know, I didn't know who he was. Mm-hmm. I said to him, I can't, I can't take this anymore. I need you to leave. And I walked him out to the car and I said, I don't ever want to see this car on this property again. I can't handle this anymore. It took him a few tries yeah. before he accepted that I, I wasn't kidding. I felt terrible. Yeah. I felt terrible about myself. But with you know, the help of my higher power and my sponsor and the other people in my program, you know, I have accepted myself and what I did more and more. Yeah. I've known a number of people who have had to do that similar thing. You know, no, you can't, you can't be here. I, mm-hmm. It's not healthy for me for you to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's never easy. It never feels good, right? No, how could it? Yeah. I say a prayer pretty much every day. God, I know that he's on a path I don't understand or want and wished would never happen. But I know that you're guiding him and I release him to you. There was a night, right, pretty soon after this happened, when I, I got a bunch of balloons from, you know, the balloon store, you know, a whole bouquet of them, and I went down to a local beach, and I released them, and said, he's yours, God. Mm. And that was a very significant thing in my recovery, and I, I watched the balloon gradually. It, it blew off sideways rather than going straight up, but, um, mm. and, and when I couldn't see it anymore, I said, there you go, there you go. I'm getting cheery again. Yeah. No, but that's that's beautiful. And also that physical representation of letting go. Mm-hmm. I think about step five, okay, and, and I'll I'll try to connect it here. So step five says we admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Mm-hmm. So I go through step four, I write down a whole bunch of stuff. Some of them are wrongs. Some of them are, are, 
or not. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why am I not done at this point? Right. I've, I, mm-hmm. I, I've got them right here. They're on paper and black and white or, you know, yellow or blue or whatever. Right. But they're not. Okay. I haven't owned them yet. Uh-huh. Right. And, yeah. and yeah. that action in step five of admitting to God, admitting to myself, and then admitting to another human being, that action makes it real. Mm-hmm. You know, taking those balloons and watching them blow away into the distance makes it real. Mm-hmm. Something as simple as, as prayer for me, mm-hmm. if I just read the prayer in my head or recite the prayer in my head, it doesn't have the same emphasis. It doesn't have the same reality as it does if I say it out loud. Yes. Right? Yes. It's so important. say it out loud. Uh-huh. I've had that step five experience a number of times where I bring something to another person and I say, here it is. This is me. And it's not until I do that that I can let go of it. Mm-hmm. It's not until I do that that I'm free of, you know, that bondage of that thing that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was like a really, did, 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 did that just come to you to do that? Or did somebody suggest that? Or do you remember? You know, I must have heard it somewhere. I, I think from a therapy group that I was in, it, it talked about releasing your worries. And I think there was a, a balloon, which, you know, the image stayed in my mind. But the other one is to, you know, take your worries, write them down, and then burn them, you know, right. on a bonfire, you know, which is also very action-oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, but that didn't feel good to me. The, the balloon seems more gentle. Yeah. <laughs> you're not you're not burning your connection to your son, right? <laughs> no. No. No, you're just you you're detaching. Mhm. He's actually way over there somewhere. And and you're trying to reach out and hold on and and, and you're letting go of that. That's mm-hmm. wow, that's that's brilliant. I'm going to have to remember that one next time. I got a you know, a sponsee who's like, "I can't let go of this." I'm like, mm-hmm. Well, why don't you get some balloons, <laughs> you know, or something, right? Some physical manifestation of letting go. Uh-huh. That's great. Yeah. Thank you. And I, I also use the serenity prayer. I say it many times a day, and I repeat steps one to three in my head. Mm-hmm. I can't. He can't let him. Mm-hmm. You write that you're now free of this obsession that I think so many of us understand, to, to do something. Mm-hmm. I really am free of it. And that feels like a miracle, literally a miracle. Yeah. Um, when, when I was in the throes of it, I couldn't have imagined feeling the lightness that I feel now. But, you know, I've taken a lot of steps to protect myself. It, it wasn't just, you know, telling him that he couldn't come to the house. And then doing it, dealing with it when he did, it was not doing anything anymore and accepting the fact that I wasn't going to do it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, I wasn't going to try and find him in the woods. 
when he was still in his dad's house, no, I'm not going to take him bags of food anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, one by one, I had to step away. So I'm not as busy anymore. My mind is much freer. I, I have the time now that I'm not doing all this stuff for him, like driving the doctor appointments and making calls for him. I took over all his, uh, quote, business transactions with the county, you know, with the DUI thing, all the court dates, you know, all of that. And mm-hmm. that was taking up a lot of my time. Yeah. Now, now the focus is on me and my time and my life. And I, I'm in a very good marriage. I'm very blessed. I can marriage. My husband's in the, been in AA for 25 years, and we share a program, and it's just beautiful. Yeah, that that sure can be. Mm-hmm. Something you mentioned also in your email, the inherited aspect of the disease. I I really believe in that. I I hear it so often. You know, so many people when they're speaking in a meeting, sharing their story, are children of alcoholics or they're anything else. My grandparents, my great-grandparents, all of my siblings, cousins, aunts and uncles are alcoholics or heavy drinkers. You know, it's hard to, hard to define right. an alcoholic, but yeah. very heavy drinkers. I think I made a mistake once of saying to him, you know, you, you came by it naturally through your grandparents. It's kept a generation, thank God. And, and I think maybe that gave him an excuse or made it okay, so I wish I'd never said that. Hmm. Well, he might have thought of it himself. Yeah. <laughs> All you got to do is look around, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Again, I have some friends who... They're alcoholic, and their one or more of their children are alcoholic, and they had to deal with feeling that it was somehow on them that their child had inherited this mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. But it it feels like also it could be, and and this is what I'm sort of hearing from you, but I could be wrong, that it also removes blame that you could be feeling like, what did I, what did I do wrong that my kid ended up this way? Is that, am, am I interpreting that correctly or? Yeah, it, it could be that. But when I went into the parents meeting, no, I, I did, I felt real grief that I had inflicted this on him. That, that, you know, my parents caused this. Um, actually, his father's parents were drinkers, you know, and that's something I had to work on. You know, that's, that's life. That's what happened. It's, yeah. it's not my, quote, fault. Yeah. What do you want to say, or what do you say to somebody who comes in, maybe it's their first meeting, maybe it's their first time at, at a meeting you're at, they're still struggling with how do I help my child? How do I fix my child? Mm-hmm. What What might you say from your experience? What I usually say to a newcomer who shares, you know, that it's a child, I always try and go up to them after the meeting. I'm giving them a big hug if they'll accept it. And, 
you know, say, you know, my child's in a similar boat, and I just want you to know that there's hope. Mm-hmm. But I'm not talking about hope for the child. I'm talking about hope for you. You can get better, and we, we can help you with that, and I hope you keep coming back. It's never hopeless. I still know that he could get into recovery, you know, at any time. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think right now, because he's in um, supportive housing, which is very tightly controlled, I don't think he can be, he certainly can't be using meth. But I don't think he can even get caught, uh, get pot. So he may be, you know, sober addict. More sober than he's been in a long time in any case. So. Right. So, so that's going to yeah. help his health. Alcoholism is a fatal disease. Yeah. And it's, he has significant brain damage. You know, that's my greatest sadness. Mm-hmm. But he, he may have had a pre-existing condition that we didn't recognize when it was just starting in his 20s. And yeah. he was medicating that. I always tell newcomers, uh, you know, I tell them about the parents' meeting where they'll meet other people that are in similar boats. And the only way I've gotten to it is with the help of the program and taking it really seriously. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's pretty much all I say. Yeah. No, that's that's uh, important. And, and that last bit about really taking the program seriously, I mean, that's that's what did it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I'd be where I am if I hadn't taken the program seriously and done the work. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when I'm when I'm sharing in a meeting, I'm like, you know, how did I get to where I am? Well, I went to meetings, I read the literature, I got a sponsor, I worked the steps. And how did that get me from where I was then to where I am now? I couldn't tell you except I did the things, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> and that. Doing those things, I got better. Uh huh. I'm glad to hear you say that. Though if somebody asked me how how did how does that work, I I think I would have to say I don't really know, but yeah. it does. I don't know how it works, but it works. I'm living proof. Yeah, right. I don't know how it works, but it worked for me. Actually, I think is is the message that yeah that I can give. Yeah. I can't say it'll work for you, but it worked for me. And I've had people tell me years later that just hearing that gave them some hope. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention that I left out was, was the inherited nature of the disease. All of the um, relatives that I mentioned to you were functioning alcoholics. They drank very heavily in the evening mm-hmm. and on the week. Weekends, but they were able to maintain their professional lives. I don't know how they did it. I really don't know. Yeah, but my son, my son wasn't able to do that. And again, it may be because he was developing his, um, you know, mental disorder, or just the way that the disease got him. Yeah, that's right. You know, we've heard some of my wife's story on the podcast, and mm-hmm. she did really well for. Twenty some years, mm-hmm. but the other thing you said—you know—alcoholism is a fatal disease. It's also a progressive disease. Yeah, untreated, it does not get better. 
it it might hold steady for a while, but the 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 trend line is is down, and the question is just how far down, right? Mm-hmm. And for some people, it's far enough not down, if that makes sense, that that they're able to continue to, you know, as you say, be functional. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she did that for a long time, mm-hmm. but eventually it got to the point where she wasn't able to be functional at the level she needed to be to do the things she wanted to do. And that's, you know, and, and, and if somebody gets to that point and, and they can't find recovery, then that, you know, that's the really sad one. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. It's very sad. And, and please tell your wife that I'm very grateful to her. that She's, you know, been willing to have you share your experiences and, that she came on the show with you. That was just one of the best episodes I've ever heard. Well, thank you. I think both of us were not certain mm-hmm. that we wanted to do it, but we felt that it was an important thing to try to do. And mm-hmm. and I've heard from, from so many people that I'm really glad we did. I'm so glad you did. Well, thank you. Okay, well, after a short break, we will continue with our lives in recovery, where we talk about how recovery works in our daily lives. I asked you to pick some music. You said you picked a couple of songs. You want to tell us about one of them? Yeah, the the first one is by Wayne Watson, and it's called Watercolor Pony. And the reason why it's significant to me is it's about letting go of our children as as they grow. Um, there are watercolor ponies on my refrigerator door in the shape of something I don't really recognize, drawn by careful little fingers and put proudly on display, a reminder to us all of how time flies. Mm. Seems an endless mound of laundry and a stairway laced with toys gives a blow-by-blow reminder of the war that we fight for their, their well-being for their greater understanding to impart a holy reverence, reverence to the Lord. But baby, what will we do when it comes back to me and you? They look a little less like little boys every day. The pleasure of watching the children grow is mixed with a bitter cup of knowing the watercolor ponies will one day ride away. Yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so strong. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our meetings and our lives this week. Big change in my life this week is last Friday, and I think I mentioned it briefly on the last uh, episode, we brought home our new rescued greyhound from his foster family. You know, (laughs) it's a reminder that Life does not go the way that we always think it should go, right? <laughs> we love the dog. He's a really sweet dog. But he's got some issues and one of the one of the issues and and I and I'll come back to uh, touch on this again briefly because it came up in my meeting this morning. He doesn't want to do what he doesn't want to do, right? I mean, that's like okay, but 75-pound dog doesn't want to do something. 
I can't make him do it. <laughs> no. Right? <laughs> so one of the things that happened, we, we need a, a, a dog who can be in the crate and, and be okay in the crate because, you know, there are periods of time when we're not in the house and, and I'm sorry, I don't trust the dog not to like chew up things. So right. it's safer for him and safer for us if, if he can do that. And the first couple of days it was like, okay, no problem. You know, he, he spent most of his life in a crate at the, at the racing kennel, uh, but something, I don't know exactly what, I think it has to do with separation anxiety and us not being sensitive enough to that. He decided he didn't want to go in. And and I got a call from my wife, I don't know, Monday, maybe, maybe Tuesday, if, saying, he won't go in his crate for me. I don't know what to do. I don't know if we can keep this dog. And I'm like, ah, <laughs> you know. And we've reached some accommodation. He's not going in the crate at the moment, and he's been he's been okay. We have what's called a belly band, which is basically a a, a diaper for a male dog, so that if he if he for whatever reason decides to pee when he's when he's unattended, it doesn't go into the carpet. Hopefully, we'll see. It, we, we, we so we put it on and and we go, and and things have been okay. The other the other thing is he he just does not know how to do stairs. <laughs> Our bedroom's on the third floor. <laughs> I can just picture that. Okay. And and if we leave him downstairs, he, he cries. <laughs> right? Oh. Yeah, I know. It's so sad. So every night, the two of us, my wife's ahead of him on the stairs laying treats on the stair steps. And, <laughs> and I'm behind so that he doesn't go backwards and, and moving feet up steps one at a time. And occasionally he, he moves his foot by himself. And one night he actually did half a set of stairs on his own, just right on up. And I was like, Oh good. And the next night he had totally forgotten or whatever. <laughs> so accepting the things that we cannot change right now, he can't do stairs. Right. We're going to keep working on it and we're hiring a trainer. <laughs> and the purpose of hiring the trainer is hopefully the trainer can show us ways yeah. So that he will cooperate with us. I was talking earlier to somebody. No, it was at the meeting. Right. So this morning's meeting, we were talking about concept 12. And I don't know, you know, most people are not familiar with the, uh, the Al-Anon concepts of service. And this meeting, we're, we're studying the concepts whenever there's a fifth Saturday in the month. Uh-huh. So concept 12, the spiritual foundation for Al-Anon's world services is contained in the general warranties of the conference. The general warranties are that only sufficient operating funds, including an ample reserve, be its prudent financial principle. That's one. Two, that no conference member shall be placed in unqualified authority over other members. And there's three more. That second one, as we were reading that part of the uh, description of, of this concept, I was like, yeah, I am not in unqualified authority over even my dog. <laughs> right? <laughs> it just is not happening. I mean, you know, if I had a five-pound dog that I could pick up, it, it would be, I could at least yeah. physically do things. I can't really pick yeah. up this 75-pound dog for very long. <laughs> so I have to work with him. Yes. And it's going to take time. And it's going to take time. And I thought about, 
like when we're going for a walk this morning, we went out for a walk before I went to my meeting and he's like, Oh boy, I'm out of walk. And he's bouncing and he's pulling. And I'm like, you know, pull him back a little bit, try to get him to, to not pull too hard. Allegedly he knows how to heal. I haven't seen it happen yet. And we get to a corner and he wants to go straight and I want to turn. And what I have learned is, and this worked with our previous dog. So I just kind of carried this over is I give a little bit of a tug on the leash and I say, come on as I'm turning. Mm-hmm. And most of the time he's like, Oh, okay. We're going that way. Uh-huh. Okay. So simple, right? <laughs> Try to work yeah. with, with him, not against him. Right. Yeah. The other thing that came up with these warranties in the meeting this morning, the first one that only sufficient operating funds, including an ample reserve be it's prudent financial principles. So I don't remember if it was this week or last week, but we went to have a meeting with a financial advisor because I'm not that far off from retirement and we need to actually be doing some, some real planning as, as opposed to I'm putting money into a retirement account for 40 years and, and eventually hopefully I'll have enough money to retire on, but I don't really know how that's going to work. Uh-huh. Uh, now it's like, okay, it's at most probably five years off. I don't know. I've been saying I'm going to retire before I'm 70. I'm 64 now, so it could be six, but whatever. We are in the fortunate position despite some expenses due to alcoholism that we do at the moment with current financial conditions, economic conditions, we do have enough money to retire relatively comfortably. And so part of the conversation, and that gets into this ample reserve and sufficient operating funds in this, in this concept is here's what we need to live on. Here's what we would like to have to, you know, have fun, <laughs> not just live, right? Mm-hmm. And assuming that one of us doesn't get sick and require years of in-home care or, or you know, something like that, there's going right. to be some money left over. Okay, we have to have a reserve to cover those things, but we also need to think about, well, what do we do with the money that's above the sufficient operating funds in the reserve? And so, you know, he just kind of injected that concept into our conversation. Like, do you want to leave a bequest to your, you know, your church or something? Do you want to leave, leave something for charity? What do you want to leave for your children? Like, yeah, okay. And, and, and you can structure your money in this way if those are goals that you have. And so it's just kind of like, the spiritual principle of sufficient operating funds and ample reserve overlapping with this straightforward financial advice and kind of mixing up in my head. We're not there yet. We haven't like laid out a plan in detail and I don't think we will have a plan in detail because, but we will have a plan. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, and so it's just the way that what I come across in a meeting, the concepts that that come up in a meeting, the way in which they so often dovetail with things that are going on in my life is, you know, my higher power working for me, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a couple of things that, that uh, I wanted to touch on about uh, my most recent week and recovery working in my life. How about yourself? A speaker at another meeting I went to this week said something that really spoke to me. And that is the, the abundance that we have been given is not deserved. She said she takes, she's taken that word deserved out of her vocabulary. Mm. But it's given by grace from God. 
And that, that really spoke to me. Mm-hmm. She was raised with abundance, and she said she always felt shame about that, but she didn't, quote, deserve it. Mm. I told her that I was in the same boat when I was young. It's not true anymore, but and that I was always embarrassed and tried to cover it up because my friends were jealous, I think. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of ashamed of it. So, so that really helped me. And then the other huge thing that happened was my, my son called, which is very rare. I don't know. I think it's been over a year since I heard his voice. And I monopolized the conversation because I didn't want to ask, ask him any questions because I didn't want to hear the answers. But what he wanted was some paperwork. He wanted some old job references, which is probably a good sign. Maybe, maybe he has a, a chance of getting you know, something mm-hmm. is um, from the count with the county help. And they, they're in a box, mailbox under our house. And mm. he used to use those as an excuse to come to our house. We had locks put on the way you get under the house. I said, well, let me think about this. I, that's something I learned in Al-Anon. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then secondly, I said, let me talk to my husband, see what he thinks about this. You will have to be home if you come over. And then I said, you know, I can't, I can't reach you back. So how do you want an answer? And I found out he has email. I've never known that. He goes to the library. So I thought that was a good sign too. Yeah. That he's together enough to do that. What my husband wanted to do was uh, get that box of papers and drive it down to him in his, um, you know, housing, mm-hmm. which is, uh, I don't know. 20 miles from there. And he said, then we're done with it. He doesn't have any more reason to come by here. And we're treating him like an adult, and he needs to be in charge of his own papers. And the big deal about this was I didn't get all upset. Mm -hmm. I didn't get all all anxious. When I first did this, you know, told him not to come to the house, I I was so anxious. Every every time the phone rang, I thought it might be him. Mm -hmm. Every, every time somebody came into our driveway, I was here, it was him. And now, that's gone. Amazing how that works, isn't it? Yes. So looking forward, I'm not sure what I'm doing next week. I did listen to uh, an open talk that was really wonderful. I might be sharing that with, with you next week. But we do welcome your thoughts. Uh, you can join the conversation. You can leave a voicemail, send us an email with your feedback or questions. If you want to share your experience with adult children following on, on Jennifer's story, you can do that, certainly. Uh, and Jennifer, how can people do that? How can people send us feedback? You can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Call right now to 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at recovery.show. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. 
Our website is therecovery.show. and has all the information about the show. We have notes for each episode. You can also, and this relates to a, an email we got that I'll talk about in a moment, uh, you can also play the podcast from the website. I'm sure some of you are doing that. We have links to the music that uh, we talk about in each episode. Uh, try to find a YouTube video. Sometimes there's actual video. Sometimes it's just the music. And links to or descriptions of the things that we read in the episode, so you can go find them and read them yourself. Let's take a little break here before we look at what's in the mailbag, and you have another song. Yes, the second song is also by Wayne Watson. It's the class of 95, which is the year my son graduated college. And this is a sad thing. He graduated at the, way at the top of his class from the university in economics. And look where he is now. Mm-hmm. This is to the class of 95. Congratulations are in line. God has surely been most faithful. He's been so much more than kind. So get ready to test your wing and fly away. But when you do, remember you are loved and somebody here is always praying for you. Mm. I don't think I need to ask why that speaks to you. Right. I was able to find the lyrics to this just by Googling it. Yeah, it's, it's so amazing these days. I remember, and way off topic here, but I remember being in high school and I was taking a, a class where I wanted to do something based on the lyrics of a song, and there was nowhere to find them. If they weren't available on sheet music in a local music store, they just weren't available, and, and I had to listen to the song over and over and over again and try to figure out what he was saying. <laughs> you know, We're talking 1972 here, okay? It was a while I know. ago. <laughs> I, know. I, I did that many times. <laughs> yeah. Inevitably, I didn't get them all right. The other thing that I love is if you hear a, a song like in a store mm-hmm. and you you don't know what the title is and you really want to uh, you know listen to it, I did that in line once and I said, oh, I wish I knew the name of this song. And the girl behind me used an app on her phone and right away came up with the, the singer and the title of the song. Yes, yes. I do that sometimes too. <laughs> <laughs> Very awesome. <laughs> we got a little bit of, of email voicemail this week. Philip asked, where can I get copies of the Mary Pearl T step talks you've posted? Are they a, from a disc available somewhere? Well, the ones that I posted, I bought a six CD set at an AA conference from Lee's Tapes and CDs. And I will put a link to Lee's Tapes and CDs. He has an online shop. I'll put those in the show notes at therecovery.show slash 302. And there's actually a couple of different six CD sets of, of the steps by Mary Pearl. The one that I shared on the podcast is from a presentation she gave in London, Ontario in 2006. So if you want to get that exact one, it's there. There's a wealth of materials available. Also, go to a conference and, and you can find them there too, I'm sure. Roberta left us a voicemail. Hi, Spencer. This is Roberta from California, and I am just so in awe of what you have done with the recovery show. And 
congratulations on your 300th episode. I this is a we're going into Labor Day weekend 2019, and I know I missed it. I I'm still working through my podcast, so I just wanted to say thank you for your guests, thank you for all the topics, and I I can't get enough and and your show, and I actually tell people and show people on their phones. Um, I download it for them because a lot of times people are like, oh, yeah, I'll do it, I'll do it. Oh, yeah, you told me about that before. And I'm like, let me show you. Let me show you. I, you know, I keep coming back. Okay, so it's a little control thing. But I'm getting your word out. I uh, I, I really, really believe you have an invaluable podcast. And for people in recovery, uh, it is amazing. And I'm so looking forward to listening to you and your wife, share. I was so glad you posted it because I was like, I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. And everything this podcast has given me has amplified my program. I'm six and a half years young or new in the program, and I, I'm i on my way to a meeting right now as I drive, and I take my daughter. I have about a 20-minute, 40-minute commute round trip to take her to school in the mornings, and I listen to it. And recently, we recently listened together because I uh, was having a, a – a hard afternoon or a hard morning, and we listened to it. Or no, it was, I was coming home, and it was just, you know, okay, saying no. And it was, and she started crying, and it's it's a great moment. It's a teachable moment. It's a recovery moment for both of us. And I just, again, I can't say thank you enough. And well, it sounds like there was a little bit of uh, connection issues there in the middle of Roberta's voicemail. Um, but thank you, Roberta, for calling. I am reminded. Also in the meeting this morning, we had a person come who was visiting from out of town and found our meeting and afterwards said, thank you so much for the podcast. I came to Al-Anon when I was living in China and there were no meetings and the podcast was my connection. Oh, and she said, are you going to keep doing this like forever? I said, well, I'm going to keep doing it as long as I can keep doing it. And so I, I actually reminds me to ask Jennifer, how did you find the podcast? Because what Roberta said about, I, I take people's phones and like download it for them. Um, how did you find the podcast? I was searching in the, I opened the podcast app and I searched for Alan Hunt and, and you came up. Very straightforward. <laughs> I'm glad yeah. that works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kelly writes about some episodes she can't find. She says, hi, I recently started listening to your podcast while helping our 32-year-old son on his road to recovery. I listened to an early episode, I think it was titled Let Go and Let God, but I can't find it now. I would really like slash need to listen again. There was Kelly, Spencer, and Swetha talking about her relationship with God and man. I believe he might have been an attorney. Where would I find it? I think it was 2013, but episodes 1 through 8 aren't available now. Can you help me? Okay, so what's going on there? They're all on the website. Okay, first thing, they're all on the website. So you can go to the recovery.show slash one slash two and still find them. They're not gone, but Apple in particular in the podcasts app and and this affects the way that other podcast apps can get access to, to, the, to the shows, limits the number of shows to 300 that it will put in the app. So we've hit that limit. And you're like, well, we're only at like 301, 302. Why are there eight missing? Well, that's because there were times when I republished an earlier episode. I didn't give it a new number. 
And so I could probably unpublish those and we'd get the last 300, but still like one and two would be missing. And then I'll publish another one and three will be missing. So for those early episodes, the only solution that I know of right now is go to the website. They're still there. They're not lost. And maybe I'll figure out a better way. Yeah, I understand. You want to go back to those early episodes. There's still, there's still good stuff there. Also, there is a page on the website at the recovery.show. If you look in the menu at the top of the page, there's, I think it says all episodes or something. Click or tap on that all episodes link and you get a page that lists all of them to make it a little easier to at least find them on the website. Let's see. Sharon left a comment on one of the episodes. She writes, this is, there's a chronic pain anonymous website with speakers. You may not realize this podcast is a great resource for people with chronic illness. The programs complement each other beautifully, and she left a link to a, a chronic pain website. So I'll put that link in the show notes for this episode at therecovery.show slash 302 if anybody's interested. I seem to recall somebody wrote in and said, asked about that question, and so that may be where this came from. Got a review on iTunes from ECG Mommy. Writes, wonderful podcast. I have been listening to this podcast for years, and I absolutely love it. It's such a great recovery tool, especially when I can't make a meeting. I like to listen to it when I'm getting ready, driving, or doing anything around the house. It keeps my mind in a healthy place. Thank you, Spencer, for your service, and there's a heart. Thank you for leaving that review. Um, reviews do help people who are looking for a podcast to decide, yeah, maybe I'll give this a try. And hopefully they find something that uh, helps them as well. So thanks for that. Mm, and thank you for supporting the podcast. One of the best ways to support the podcast is to tell your friends. You can send them to the recovery.show um, to find it. And I also want to thank again, Megan, Dana, Christine, Alba, and Mary for your support of this episode. So Jennifer, you, you uh, have another song for us to close with. I do. And it's not directly, directly related to what I've been talking about, but it is about breaking up. I think it's also about sobriety. It's called Clean, and it's by Taylor Swift. The lyrics, the drought was the very worst, and the flowers that we'd grown together died of thirst. It was months and months of back and forth. You're still all over me like a mind-stained dress I can't wear anymore. Hung my head as I lost the war and the sky turned black like a perfect storm. Rain came pouring down when I was drowning. That's when I could finally breathe. And by morning gone was any tracing. I think I am finally seen. And then several stanzas later, 10 months sober. I must admit, just because you're queen don't mean you don't miss it. 10 months older. I won't give in. Now that I'm clean, I'm never going to risk it. Mm-hmm. I think this is my favorite song of all time. Really? Yeah. I just love the way she sings it. Reading it does it no justice at all. But when it really spoke to me is it's you know, it's about getting sober and not being able to stay with the person you're with. Thank you for sharing your story, because I know it will help any number of people who are listening out there now. Sure 
Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.